morning, everyone. Please do take a seat. If we've not met yet, then uh, let me introduce myself. My name's Ken Matthews, and I'm one of the ministers uh, here at the church at St. Joseph's. And that is a great prayer, that song, is it not? With which to approach God's word. In the power of your spirit, speak and change us by your word. So it'd be great if you could uh, have God's word open in front of you back at Deuteronomy chapter 17. And if you've been coming to the church for a while, then you'll know that our regular habit here is to work our way through books of the Bible because we believe that's just the best diet with which to feed a church congregation. Uh, But we thought it'd be helpful on this coronation weekend this morning, in amongst all the pomp and the ceremony, to ask biblically, what do we need from a monarch? Well, there's lots of different ways that we could answer that question, isn't there? I wonder what your answer would be. Well, I've been just kind of asking around during uh, the course of the week, uh, my family, staff, team, people I've been bumping into, and I've uh, collected a a little range of um, answers. Uh, uh, First up, we've got pageantry, history, and tradition. That was definitely on display uh, yesterday, if you saw any of the coronation ceremony and the build-up. Not to lose their head, one member of the staff (laughs) said to me, uh, which, if you know anything about our monarchy, has a certain double meaning. You see what they did there. For them to be able to sing like Queen Elsa from Frozen. More bank holidays. Uh, There's definitely plenty of them going around at the moment. Free Haribo for life, said a younger member. Uh, Well, certainly one of my family. I won't say who. Decent Christmas speeches. Uh, to which uh, one of our staff added, preferably where they break into song. One of our staff members clearly has a real thing about our monarch being able to, to sing. I, mean, I think, think, think kind of, uh, they must think that kind of um, uh, being royalty means you, you live in a musical or something. I don't know. But for all of that, um, uh, whether, whether our monarch is all singing and dancing or not, I know that there's others who are just as passionate about not having a king. According to the most recent survey I saw, a quarter of the population in the UK think that we should abolish the monarchy. And certainly there seems to have been quite a lot of apathy about um, the coronation, not least in the younger generations. (coughs) But whether we love the idea of monarchy or loathe it, I think there's no better place to turn than to Deuteronomy chapter 17 to orientate ourselves in the midst of the debate. Uh, Not that I'm going to answer it, (laughs) Uh, because the Bible doesn't answer it. And I always think that we've got to be really, really careful that we're not too definite or too passionate about things that the Bible isn't too definite or passionate about. And so here in Deuteronomy 17, we, we find that the Lord God is saying through Moses in verse 15, if you want to have a king, you may indeed set a king over you. There's no right or wrong about having a king in the Bible. If you want one, have one. If you don't, don't. But if you do have one, well, then actually the Bible doesn't give us a lot of um, uh, option to be ambivalent about it. As uh, in the New Testament, we read that we should honor them, should honor our our kings, our queens, our our rulers. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. We should be subject to them, Romans 13 tells us, obeying our governing authorities. And we should pray for them, 1 Timothy chapter 2. But what should we be praying for them? 
Well, I think Deuteronomy 17 gives us two things in particular that it'd be great to be praying for our new king, Charles III, or any monarch, for that matter. And though, of course, this chapter of the Bible is talking about a king in Old Testament Israel, I think you could equally apply it to a modern leader in a liberal democracy. This is exactly the sort of leader we should want. And you could also apply it to leadership in the church as well. And I hope as we go through, you'll find it's actually applicable to your life. There's things that all of us could learn here from God's Word. So firstly, the monarch we need must not acquire for themselves. Did you notice that as Jen read through for us? There's there's three things the king is not to acquire for himself in verses 16 to 17. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Three times he must not acquire for himself. That's the weight of it. For himself. There's no problem in acquiring these things for the nation as, as he leads. But he must not do so for himself. So first up, he mustn't acquire many horses for himself. And before you think, you're tempted to think, well, actually, King Charles looks like he's a little bit of a step up from his mother. Uh, because uh, let's face it, as well as loving her dogs, she loved her horses. And she had loads of them, didn't she? In fact, uh, I remember in the last year of her life, uh, well, last year, she wasn't able, she wasn't fit to attend the state opening of Parliament, you might remember that. And yet, two days later, she pitched up at the Great Windsor Horse Display. Uh, I guess we could cut her a little bit of slack, couldn't we? Age 96. I mean, come on. You know, you've got to pace yourself for that at that point in life. I mean, call it semi-retirement. But she loved her horses, didn't she? And yet, the point here is that there's nothing particularly bad in having horses. It's just that back in that day, they were the the military hardware. Uh, Giving horses, well, horses horses drew chariots. Horses gave you an advantage in warfare. Horses are your javelin missiles or, or, or attack drones on the battlefield. That's what horses are in those days. So the monarch shouldn't accumulate for themselves military hardware for, uh, for his or her, her own protection. Which is why in Psalm 20, uh, um, which is written by a king, King David no less, it says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's where a king's trust should be. And that's where our trust should be too. I wonder if if this week you found yourself putting your trust in something else, probably not horses, I suspect, (laughs) but some good gift of God given to you by him, trusting in that for your protection, for your security, for your safety, but not actually trusting in him, the giver. Well, the king was 
to put his trust in, in the Lord. And so he so shouldn't, shouldn't put his trust in, in horses and chariots, uh, but nor should he put himself, his, his trust in, in many wives. Do you notice that? That's the, that's the second thing that he shouldn't accumulate for himself. For in the culture of ancient Near East, in those days, they, they sometimes married multiple times. And, it, and perhaps that accumulation of wife could have been for uh, companionship and for sexual pleasure. But generally speaking, kings and rulers took on spouses to make alliances with other nations or tribes to, 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 to form a power base. They did it for influence. And then thirdly, the third don't accumulate is don't accumulate for yourself large amounts of wealth. Again, nothing wrong with being the monarch of a wealthy nation. But just don't stash it all away for yourself. Do so you see here, God is saying, the king must trust me, the Lord. Not in military strength, not in political alliances, not in great wealth, money in the bank. No, no, he must trust in me. And perhaps on that front, we could say that our former queen was a real gift to us as her Christmas message is very gently, not forcefully, expressed her trust in Jesus. Back in 2002, she put it in these terms. I know just how much I must rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give it my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. At the end of the day, kings and queens, they're they're just like us, actually. They're just people susceptible to the same temptations we all face to put their trust in the strength of our position or our allies or our wealth rather than trust in the Lord God to help us get through each day. He's our greatest strength. He, he is our most faithful ally. He is our richest treasure. And so it's the same today as it was back then. Uh, you want a monarch who doesn't acquire for themselves. You, you want political leaders who don't acquire for themselves, who, who don't just play the game for their own one-upmanship. And you want in a church setting also leadership that doesn't acquire for themselves. Whether it's simply acquiring position or influence or or simply just needing to be right all the time. We must be really wary of those temptations, even in a church. You want leaders who are simply just on the lookout for opportunities to serve their brothers and sisters, to serve their community, and then by God's strength taking advantage of those opportunities. So that's the first thing we should want from a monarch. And the second thing we need is that they will read God's word daily. As verse 18 goes on saying of any potential king, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him 
and he shall read in it all the days of his life. The monarch was meant to copy out the Bible of his day. That was, that was the Torah, just the early books of the Bible. And then he was meant to read it every day, every single day of his reign. The two things that you want to stress about your king, isn't that interesting? This is the most useful thing that we could ask of a monarch. That they read the Bible every day. At coronation services since 1689, a Bible has been placed into the hands of the monarch. Uh, maybe you saw this if you watched the coronation early on in the service uh, yesterday. And then these words have been said to the monarch. To keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the Bible, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Wow! What a declaration to make, folks. This is the most valuable thing that the world affords. How can that be true? Well, look at the benefits to the king of writing out the scriptures and then reading it every day. They're spelled out in verse 18. Here you go. It says, and, and he shall read it all the days of his life. That he, Here you go. Here are the benefits that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statues and doing them. Uh, how do you live a life that is pleasing to God? Well, here's the secret formula. Read the Bible every day. That's how you learn to fear, to, to revere the Lord. That's how you learn to, to make him big in your life. Read it. There's nothing magical about the words as, as you read them. So, so, so therefore, really read it. Reflect on it as you do so. Think about it through. Wrestle with it. And meditate on it. Repeat it over and over again. Get it in your head. That's why it's so helpful for any of us, actually. Uh, not just an Old Testament king to, to write it out. Perhaps that's something you want to do as you, you try and read the Bible this week. I hope that's one of the things you're going to go away and try and do is read the Bible every day. And, and then if something really strikes you, write it out. Put it as a reminder on your phone to, to ping up every morning at 8, eight o'clock whenever you're eating, eating your breakfast. Maybe, maybe write it out, put it, put it on the fridge. Somewhere you're going to see it beside your computer. So that it gets from the page into our heads and then into our hearts, and then can be lived out in our lives. Here's the second benefit. Verse 20, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and they may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left. Is he really, the Bible helps you not just to put, to, to learn to put God in his rightful place, but also ourselves, it humbles us. I don't know how you say sane when you ride around in golden carriages and your picture is on every banknote in the land. Uh, how do you stay humble 
when you're put into that kind of position. And yet, people often said about the Queen that she was pretty good at being one of the people. I don't know if you remember in 1982, uh, some of you are probably way too young to remember uh, 1982, but a fellow called Michael Fagan broke into the Queen's bedroom at Buckingham Palace. Apparently, Queen, apparently season four of The Crown does this really well. If you don't know the story, you could watch that. Uh, and you have to wonder, though, how? How on earth did he get in there? But you also have to wonder, how on earth did it not escalate? And I think that was just due to the calmness of the Queen, who just sat up in bed in her gym jams talking to him for an hour until help arrived. And then in the aftermath, uh, people commended her saying, oh gosh, how did you stay so calm? You did exceptionally well just to keep talking and not panic. To which her reply was, you seem to forget. I spend most of my life conversing with complete strangers. <laughs> I love that. And yet here is how you stay sane. Here is how you retain your humility as a monarch. You read the Bible every day. Then you don't consider yourself better than anyone else. Because here in the scriptures, it's very clear you're a sinner. <laughs> the scripture makes no bones about that. You are a sinner. But so is everybody else. We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. And the only way that any of us is acceptable to the Lord is by the grace of God by Jesus dying our death in our place and then rising again to new life. That's what you'll get in the scriptures as you read it and it will keep you humble, it will ground you every day. And then the final benefit is longevity of reign. Again, verse 20, so that he may continue long in his kingdom. He and his children in Israel not many of the kings of Israel lasted very long. You read, you read your way through one kings, two kings, uh, books of chronicles, uh, you'll, you'll find that. And yes, you will also find that had a lot to do with our Bible reading habits. It did. The ones who survived any length of time, generally speaking, called on the name of the Lord. And they read and they sought to obey God's word. I wonder what you make of that. I wonder what you make of the coronation service language. This, this is the most valuable thing this world affords. Useful, yes. Not nice to have. I mean, it was a nice-looking Bible he got handed. It was fancy. But the most valuable thing? When I was at theological college, um, I used to keep bumping into a minister. He, was a, um, he sometimes lectured part-time at the theological college. And uh, he would always say to me the same thing whenever I bumped into him. He said, a minute in God's word is worth 10,000 pounds. And I used to think to myself, 10,000 pounds, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I could do a lot with 10,000 pounds. Couldn't you? But... He knew what he was doing, this guy. It kind of sort of wormed its way into your brain. A minute in God's word is worth, worth 10,000 pounds. And you start to think to yourself, well, I suppose 
you can't buy eternal life. But the Bible will give you Jesus. And he offers you that. And you can't buy character change. You, you can't buy a transformed life. But time in the scriptures and the power of the Spirit will give you that. And you can't buy contentment. We all know that. No matter how much stuff you accumulate, how many experiences, holidays you go on, <laughs> here today and gone tomorrow. But actually, meditating on the scriptures and praying that through you find a, a peace that passes understanding that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The Bible will give you that. And you start to think to yourself, well, actually, maybe that guy was right. That time spent in God's word is worth a lot more than we think it is. Say so we have it. Uh, the monarch should not acquire for themselves and should read God's word daily. But what should we do? <laughs> I mean, I might not be reading the room right, but I, I, I don't think we have any royalty with this this morning. So what is it that we should be doing in response to this? Well, two things, I think. Firstly, we need to pray for our leaders, don't we? Pray for King Charles III. Pray for his son who, God willing, will follow him. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 commands us that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people in the first place for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. It pleases Jesus who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. As a staff team here at church, we try and pray every day, find a, a slot, a time to do that. And, and when we decided to do that, one of our staff members suggested that we should make a point of praying for the king and our nation's leaders once a week during one of those slots. And I must admit, I was a little bit reluctant to make that a part of our kind of regular uh, pattern until I remembered 1 Timothy chapter 2 and I realized I had no leg to stand on whatsoever. But I don't know about you, whether you get that same sense that, that I sometimes get of knowing it's important, yes, but not being super excited about praying for our nation's leaders and wondering what difference it actually makes when we do. Well, six months before the Queen's coronation back in 1963, in an address to the people of the UK and the Commonwealth, she said this, she said, pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making, and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. Do you see what she has there? Pray for me. Pray for me. And I, I think we can say that God answered that prayer, don't, don't you? We must keep praying for our nation's leaders, praying, of course, for our political leaders, as well as the king, even if, unlike Queen Elizabeth, they are not currently asking for that. And please pray, too, for the church's leaders in the nation, also here at St. Joseph's. I think I've always been a little bit slow to ask for prayer. I feel a bit 
embarrassed saying, please pray for me because I, I really don't like being the center of attention. That maybe, maybe strikes you standing up here most weeks. That maybe strikes you as, as silly. But I really don't like the focus to be on me. And if you've been around the UK church scene for any length of time now, then you will know that sadly, heartbreakingly, we have seen so many church leaders have to resign over moral and spiritual failures. So I'm a little bit bolder in asking now. Please pray for me. Pray for Ben. Pray for all who take a leadership role in this church. And secondly, give thanks. Uh, you, you might not be feeling very thankful this morning for King Charles, either because you really don't think we should have a monarchy. You're in that one quarter of the nation's population, or you're a little bit nervous about what kind of king Charles III is going to be. But I think you can still give thanks because we have a perfect king. As Stephen prayed earlier on, we have Jesus as the monarch on the throne of the whole world. So we can say, thank you, Lord. We can give thanks that in him, we have a king who never sought to accumulate for himself. He never sought to do that. No, he just gave. He gave up power and influence and wealth, making himself nothing by taking on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we can give thanks that in Jesus we have a king who clearly meditated deeply on the scriptures, on the word of God. He didn't just read it daily, he lived it out perfectly. And we can give thanks that we're never going to have to mourn his passing. We're never going to say, oh, well, that, that was the passing of a great era. No. Instead, we can say, praise God because he reigns forever. Praise God because he is the King of kings and our Lord of lords. And he not only reigns now in heaven, he reigns in our hearts by his spirit. Not a palace, but in the temple of the Holy Spirit, in us, if we put our trust in him and believe in him. Let's pray that through now. Let me pray for us. A moment of quiet just to think that through. Pray that through for ourselves and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the spiritual realms with every blessing in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father God, thank you for giving us Jesus, for sending us Jesus. And we thank you for the many ways that he serves us so faithfully as our King each day. Thank you for the example that he sets us in humbling himself to serve others. Thank you for the way in which he sets us that incredible example of modeling your word lived out. May he inspire us as we read the word this week.
to live like him. And Father God, we do thank you that he is sovereign over all things, even the hard things in our lives this morning, the, the things where we're tempted to cry out, oh, why, Lord, why, how long? Help us to cry that out, but to put our trust in him that he is working even in those dark places to do us good and to bring you glory. And we thank you that there is a day coming when King Jesus will return to usher in his eternal reign and bring us home into his perfect glory. We look forward to that. May our hearts long for it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.